Hey, welcome back. I have a lot to unpack, a lot to discuss today in today's podcast. And and I sort of want to start with the market, start with the economic, the finance, the market side of things before I jump into, um, I guess, some, some thoughts that I'd like to share on, on, well, the events of the past, you know, five, six days, um, week really, uh, since the, you know, since the killing of George Floyd, some thoughts that I'd like to share. Before I get to that, though, I want to talk about the markets. Now, obviously, the markets and, and everything going on today is, is influenced by the events of the last week, namely these, these massive protests as well as massive um, levels of, of violence, vandalism, theft, etc., and police, to some extent, police brutality in, you know, nearly every major uh, city in the United States. I mean, it's, it has been breathtaking. I mean, I'll remind you guys, I'm a, I live in Minnesota. I don't live in the Twin Cities. Um, I live up in the Duluth, uh, in Duluth, up, you know, so, so 100, 150 miles north of, of the Twin Cities. Uh, Twin Cities being Minneapolis and St. Paul. Um, however, you know, same state as I'm in, I, I, you know, I have some connections to the area and whatnot. Um, so what, what happened in Minneapolis uh, the the killing, you know, the the original spark was was not all that surprising. It's not all that surprising in almost any, you know, major U.S. city. Um, however, uh, the the protests again not surprising, but the the viol- you know, the violence that ultimately came of that, the the damage that was caused, etc. Um, I think that got people's attention. That was surprising to say the least. Um, and, and I think it was sobering for a lot of people. Um, and, and then, of course, and again, I don't want to get deep into the protests and, and some of these issues right now. I can say that for later. Let's talk about markets. But obviously, we saw, you know, just to recap, we saw it then spread um, to, again, most major cities across the United States. You know, large ones, large protests in many Texas cities, um, Santa Monica, L.A., um, Washington, D.C., you know, right in front of the, the, the White House, you know, lawn, um, New York City and, and uh, you know, Chicago. I mean, you name a city, there was, there was significant protests there. And uh, it has been crazy. I mean, it, it, it was bad on Thursday night, heading into Friday, right? And, and it hasn't gotten a whole lot better since then. It remains to be seen what it'll be like going into this week. Uh, Monday night, you know, maybe not as many people out and about, but we'll see. Um, again, a lot of this was unexpected in the first place. However, what what's what's crazy is, you know, over the weekend, you know, Saturday, you know, Sunday, even people were kind of joking. You know, we have these massive riots. I wonder how much the S and P five hundred will be up on Monday. Kind of joking about the the farcical nature of of markets these days, and you know, lo and behold, well. Overnight or, or Sunday afternoon, when when uh, futures open, they were down. Not not a ton, but they were down. Um, but as we head into open here, I, by the way, about twenty eight minutes to open right now. Um, New York open as I'm recording here. Uh, futures were basically even. You know, I think that the Dow might have been up, and the S and P Nasdaq were down, or maybe I have a backward at. But but they were basically you know very little change in these futures markets, which is nuts, and yet it makes perfect sense in today's market, you know where where the market's 
a function of liquidity and credit. If you can pump liquidity and credit into to the market um, on an overnight basis, then then who cares about mass riots, the deepest recession we've ever been in, uh, or at least have been in in 100 plus years here in the United States? Who cares about the China trade deal? Almost, you know not being a thing anymore who cares about this massive pandemic who cares about um you know the list goes on and on it, it apparently all of that is either bullish for the market or the market doesn't care and and it's all about credit and liquidity you could potentially say that hey today's riot today's riots um and and mass protests i want to separate the two um and and today's uh, pandemic, super deep recession, etc., is bullish for the market because it's going to bring on more credit and liquidity. Maybe you could say that that's the case, and obviously this goes back to the whole you know don't fight the Fed type of of mantra. Um, but but again, you're getting away from what equities really are, should be. I mean, in, in today's manipulated system, credit and liquidity. In a normal system, they should be forward looking. With actually quite a bit of respect to you know next quarter and not five years from now and and what our projections tell us earnings will be five years from now you know what what happens next quarter and the quarter after that and of course this quarter um, that I would argue matters a lot more than than years and years out into the future um, unless you're just looking at a growth stock right if you're looking at Tesla Tesla's valuation today is almost entirely based on where some people think the stock could be years from now. Okay, it's a growth stock. Now, I would counter and say that, well, it doesn't matter what it's going to be five or ten years from now. Right now, they, they're they not making enough sales. They have way too much debt. They're burning cash at a, at a very fast rate. That's kind of what matters more. But, okay, obviously I'm not winning that argument. Uh, if you look at the price, but as a whole, if you're looking at the market, especially a lot of these established businesses, you know, the next year of profits, as well as this quarter and uh, last quarter, I mean, that should be what matters, not, you know, what the market could be at at you know, 2025. And yet, you know, that's what people tell themselves. This is all forward looking, right? But but earnings are crashing, have been crashing, earnings per share, um, you know, revenue, Profits, cash flow. I mean, it's it's just a bloodbath all around, and yet markets are, you know, rallying on a lot of this. And maybe it's just because all the bad news just brings on more of what the markets really care about, and that is credit growth and liquidity. I mean, I it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if you know if if this you know social unrest in the United States continues. You know, week after week, you know, I, I envision a situation where, hey, maybe this turns into something like what, now I forget if this is 20, late 2018, 2019, or what, the, the Yellow Vest protests, uh, where, where they were kind of a weekly thing. You know, every weekend, people would, you know, take to the streets and, and do these mass protests in, in first France and then many other countries. Maybe it's going to be similar to like the Hong Kong protests where they just keep coming back. It's hard to say. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Fed, you know, talks about this and, and says, well, A, this is not good for the economy. B, we want to fix these problems. And so we're going to, you know, ramp up the QE, lower interest rates, because that's what helps, 
you know, minorities or disadvantaged, disadvantaged individuals, people with, with uh, a, of a poor you know, socioeconomic background or situation. This is what helps them, which is, which is ridiculous and it is dishonest. It's just wrong. That is not what the data would suggest whatsoever. Simple, simple you know, I guess, um, logic, you know, following exactly how low interest rates, QE, etc., actually influence markets. You know, following that would suggest that no, this is actually increasing this socioeconomic divide. That your your inflationary policies are, as a whole, um, you know, well, debasing the currency, and that that hurts the working class, you know, the poor, even the middle class, more than it hurts the upper 1% or few percent of, of society. And that, you know, your QE, your low interest rates, yeah, they benefit those that um, own, you know, especially large businesses, those that own a large amount of property, those that own a large amount of equity are exposed to things like commercial real estate, et cetera, et cetera. If, you know, the more you're invested in these financialized assets, the more you're invested in equities and in large amount of real estate and whatnot, the more you benefit from Fed policies. And, and guess what? Guess who is the least invested in those things? The working class because they don't have the capital, right? Not blaming the Fed for for what's been happening in the last week, but I'm saying that no, I think they seriously contributed to it. Now, again, I want to unpack it more than that, right? I'm not just going to lay this at Jerome Powell's feet, but but they play a part, right? Wealth inequality, you know, does play a part in this, and, and this isn't me going on some socialist rant. Obviously, you guys know that. Um, so, it, it's nuts that that this can be bullish or at least neutral for the markets. And the same thing goes for the trade deal, which is, you know, falling apart before our eyes. I don't see it somehow getting fixed. You know, me not in 2020. I, I, I just don't see that. Trump has too much on his plate. It's an election year. It's not a good election year to be buddy, buddy with China. I would guess maybe in 2021, depending on who, uh, who, who makes into the White House? I, I don't know if Biden's huge into these trade deals. Um, that sounds a little Trump-esque, but we'll see. But but that's that's a long ways out in the future. I mean, the trade deal. If anything, if if Trump maybe wants to you know garner the support of his base, he can you know basically run the whole. Well, I tried with China line, but um, it didn't work. And oh, by the way, they unleashed a pandemic on the world, and. I'm going to be tough on China. That's going to get him some votes, I'm sure, in his base. Um, maybe on both sides of the aisle. Independence, I don't know. So so if anything, you know, we there's a good chance we could see more tariffs before the end of the year. There's a good chance that we could see this entire trade deal fall apart. We could see more sanctions. I mean, it's anything but bullish. Unless you think it's going to lead to more credit and liquidity. More QE, more money printing, more longer 0% interest rate policy or rates going negative. It's nuts. It's nuts that that's where markets are today. And it's going to be a rude awakening for markets and, and, and shareholders, it's investors, traders, etc. When all of a sudden bad news matters and, and what the Fed does in terms of, of I mean, that's one thing. Bad news matters. 
yeah, hey, for a while, COVID-19 was, it mattered. It's always been bad news. But the slowdown related to it went on. That shook the markets mightily in March. But there's going to come a time where not only will bad events matter and continue to matter, but guess what? The Fed policy is going to do little to counteract that. In fact, it could get so bad that Fed easing more could get lumped into that bad news category. Right? But, but moving on, I, I want to take some time to talk about these um, protests as well as the violence and the riots. You know, I was talking to my wife about this yesterday. Um, the, the unfortunate thing about this is that in today's deeply polarized you know, U.S. culture, there's this idea that, you know, if I stand on one and and to make it, I'll start off by saying this, I don't stand on one side of the aisle. You guys know if anything, I'm more than libertarian, uh, more libertarian than anything else. Um, I, I, I like to think that I stand on the side of, of Jesus and the Bible. And that's not to say that libertarian is the way of the Bible or anything like that. I'm just saying that that's where I, you know, but... Um, in, in, in respects to this, the, whether it's the media or just individuals, I and mean, we can't blame this all on the media, there's this desire, I think, to look across the aisle and, and disagree with that person and make their views so unpalatable that that makes it so much easier to disagree with them. If you think the other person is just a bad person, an uncaring person, an unloving person, a stupid person that it makes it easier to disagree with them and, and not like them. And and what I mean by that is this, and on this issue in particular, there's going to be the, and I, I hesitate to say Republican, but maybe more conservative, um, support the, you know, blue, you know, thin blue line cop, um, big cop supporter. And that's the thing is I, I'm, both sides can be cop supporters, but, but you guys get what I'm saying here that would love to see the other side the Black Lives Matter side of things or something, view this as a, they love to think that every Black Lives Matters um, protester is thinking um, it's a tragedy that George Floyd died and it is a good thing that windows are getting smashed and, and buildings are burning and people are getting assaulted to even the score. When in reality, that's a minority view. Conversely, that same side the Black Lives Matters or protesters or whatever would love to look at the people that aren't protesting or or you know, people that are concerned about the property damage would love to look at that and say, you're worried about property damage when a innocent black man, you know, innocent of, of a major crime, you know, somebody that was, he was unlawfully killed, major police brutality, maybe premeditated murder, whatever. He was killed and you're worried about property damage. When in reality... You know, that's a minority view. I think a lot of people, uh, well, okay, I'll, I'll add to that. You care about property damage and you don't care about this man that was killed. When in reality, there's a lot of people on that side that care about property damage. They care about the violence that's happened in the past couple of days and these riots and whatnot. But they also care about this police brutality and whatnot. Now, now the crazy thing about this, and I said that's, the minority view. There are some people that are so entrenched in their political beliefs that that and it's not even political. This isn't. I, I want to describe this to Democratic or Republican, but but they so want to be what the other side despises that there's some people that will rationalize the riots of these 
private businesses that had really, you know, not a whole lot, anything to do with, you know, the killing of George Floyd um, or the smashing of, of police car windows, burning the cars out, you know, storming the third precinct of Minneapolis Police Department. I mean, there are people that will rationalize that and say that that's justified, that some, that, that that is somehow justice, right? And on the other side, there are people that are saying that, well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he wasn't actually killed. You know, maybe the knee on the neck, maybe the cop didn't really, you know, maybe the cop isn't that bad of a guy, um, you know, uh, etc. You know, it... There are people there too because they're so entrenched and they want. I don't get it, but but the thing is, is that I'm sure by now maybe you guys know where I stand on things just by listening to me talk here. I think that you know the police brutality, whether it was premeditated or if it was just an abuse of power, terrible training, whatever. Um, some some three cops at least nearby that did not stand up, and and. Um, you know, stand up for this man's, you know, rights and whatnot. Uh, it, it was an unlawful killing of this guy. You know, I saw it on Tuesday and, and I, you know, thought to myself, now I didn't predict that, you know, these scale of, of protests and violence and uh, um, riots, etc. I didn't predict that necessarily, but I saw it and I was like, this is one of the most clear-cut killing. You know, in the past, in so many of these cases, whether it's in Minneapolis or Ferguson or, or Baltimore, or uh, New York, or whatever, it's sometimes can be less clear-cut. You know, did the guy rush the police officer? Was he reaching his forced gun? Did the police officer fear for his life? This one seems so clear-cut. This is going to be bad, you know, when I saw that. And, and, and I think it was unlawful. It was just despicable. I, I, can't, I can't discern the police officer's motive i can't i don't i don't know was it premeditated he knew this guy beforehand right um was it premeditated was it racially charged maybe and and was it overtly racially charged or maybe was this maybe some racism or something that he wasn't maybe quite aware of or he wasn't quite acknowledging i don't know i don't know um why didn't the other cops there three of them um step in and say, hey, maybe you should... And, and to some extent, they did, and this guy just didn't listen. Look, he's deserving what he's going... He got fired, and he's going to jail, likely, for a long time. On the other hand, it, it's not a but, it's an and. Not only do I not like that, I also don't like the massive amount of violence that I've seen since then. Right? It just... And, and, and it goes both ways. Now, I will say that, I mean, I can say, as a whole, you know, cops have really, many of them have done a, maybe a fine job, but there has been some that have been instigating in, in the past or, or acting in a very, I think, reckless manner, given the context in the last, you know, week of protests, Right. You see this, you know, line of cop cars driving by a, a bunch of peaceful protesters, and you know, the third or fourth you know, car in the line opens a window and sprays some mace out the window. I mean, what's the justification for that, right? Um, you know, shooting tear gas and rubber bullets at otherwise peaceful protesters, maybe not even past curfew, which you know, at some point you have to wonder about the constitutionality of you know curfew and whatnot. That's okay. That's another topic, but. 
Um, you know, there's another one of, of National Guard and, and cops walking down this residential street and somebody's filming them from their porch and they shot the person with a, you know, a paint canister or rubber bullet. I mean, what's the justification for that? There's, there's a lot of instigation on, on the police side of things. Let's be intellectually honest here and say, that, yeah, there's that. But then, you know, the amount of violence from the other side and, and property damage is just astounding. And I'm against both of those things, the police brutality and the, uh, the property damage and the violence from, from these so-called, you know, protesters. In, in reality, lawless rioters, the lawless mob. And, and I don't, I, I care who they are, you know. Are they Black Lives Matter? Are they white nationalists? Are they undercover cops? Are they what? Maybe there's some truth to all those things. I don't know. But it's, I can say that it's wrong, right? And um, I don't like either of those things. Additionally, I don't like the killing of George Floyd, right? That's my stance on things. Now, now, now what's the solution to this, though? What is the solution to this? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Now, yesterday, <clears throat> I think it was yesterday, this guy by the name of Cornell West, He's a, he's a professor at, at Harvard. You guys have probably seen this guy before. African-American. Um, he, uh, he was talking, and, 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 and I think, if anything, he was advocating more for a socialistic type of approach to this type of thing. But he did mention at one point, basically, that the system can't reform itself from within. He basically said we have to try, um, but it can't. And, and to some extent, I would agree with that sentiment, that it, it can't fix these problems from within nor nor can we from the outside i i am maybe realistic maybe a little bit pessimistic i don't know um on this whole topic of how can we fix this with structural reform with with reform institutions etc i i just think it's it's not going to work ultimately doesn't mean we shouldn't try i'm just not expecting it to to fix this. Because ultimately, if, if we're going to point at racism and, and bigotry, and, and even if we move across just just race lines, but, but excessive cop violence, excessive violence by, by other individuals, um, that, that's no longer a thing that can just be solved by laws. They're, they're all acting in, I consider, what I would consider a lawless manner. You, you can maybe weed out some more bad cops. Um, but, but ultimately I see this as a heart issue. Man's heart is, is evil. And, and, and that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially if you don't maybe espouse the same religious beliefs that I do. I'm a Christian, by the way, but, but man's heart is evil. And and hear me out here. Um, there, there's only one thing that can, can change that is, is, God, I mean, God changes quite literally, you know, would give you a, he gives you a new heart, right? That's what the Bible would say. Um, and, and apart from that, these are the same problems that we've had for not decades, not centuries, but, but millennia, millennia of human history of this, it, of one flavor or another. Now, I will, one, one death is still a tragedy, but, but, I mean, there's plenty of examples. You know, look back to, to what Genghis Khan and, and the Mongol Empire did in, what, the 1200s AD. Just mass atrocities left and right. But that was 800 years ago. 
right? Well, I mean, the 20th century was, was just a, a terrible decade between World War One, World War Two, you know, the Great Leap Forward, you know, the, the, the Soviet, you know, empire in there, um, their, you know, brutality, their, you know, genocides that they carried out, the Holocaust, you know, Vietnam War, and, and many more things beyond that. The 21st century is not getting off to a great start. But, I mean, this is, this, you know, if, if looking beyond just racism, but just violence and, and, and a lack of care for our fellow man, it's, it's a heart thing, right? And so I ask myself, what can I do? What can, can a Christian do to fix this? Um, I think it's a good thing to seek justice. Seek justice for the oppressed. Seek justice for for um, for for somebody like this this police officer that he is you know justice is is served in this case, but I, I'm not under some illusion that we can fix these problems from within or from outside. No, not not through these conventional means of, of changing laws and spending more money and creating police review boards and and increased connections with the community. Those things may be able to help. In some cases, I mean, I would argue that, you know, to some extent, racism and, and these killings and whatnot are, are not as bad as they were back in, you know, 19, you know, during and prior to the civil rights era. I, things maybe have gotten better, right? But obviously, you know, we're at several, several generations into this and, and things aren't fixed yet. Maybe it's a hard issue. What can I do as a Christian? I can pray right? If you're a Christian, pray. I mean, it sounds so simple, but I mean, the Bible's rife with, with texts about the importance of prayer and the power of prayer, but, but also love. And, and, and that sounds very hippie-ish. I get it. From a, from a secular point of view, loving sounds so hippie-ish. <clears throat> what is loving going to do? And yet, it's, I think it's so powerful. Love, um, you know, your fellow, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, Right. First of all, I mean, what's the, the Bible would say? What is the greatest commandment? Love, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Right. And the second would be to to love others. Right. I mean, that's that's huge. I mean, those are the the greatest commandments from from God, from Jesus Himself. And I think that's you know a big part of what what the solution to this now. I'm not saying that that we can fix this problem because I don't necessarily know if some mass revival in the United States is going to take place in in the coming years. I I don't know. It'd be great if that was the case, but I don't know. However, it's it's that's my solution to things. Now, yes, we can expand upon this, and there's other ideas that, for instance, you know, I'm more of a libertarian-minded guy, right? And and with a libertarian stance, you know the role of law enforcement, law enforcement, and 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 all these laws would be diminished in more of a libertarian society. Um, the size of government would be diminished. You know the role of unions, um, or 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 you know the, the more accurately the the difficulty in in you know disciplining police officer for bad conduct, you know, that would be 
diminish the ability to kind of restrict that discipline, at least I should say. You know, there's a lot of benefits to, you know, more libertarian society. I think more libertarian and, and thus more capitalistic society would ultimately, you know, benefit these lower uh, socioeconomic regions, um, communities, ethnicities to some extent. Yeah, it'd benefit that. You know, there's some people that would say that, that it's there because of capitalism. I would argue that we haven't had real capitalism in the United States in, in well, maybe ever, but in a very long time. It's been very, you know, government-based, very authoritarian and or socialistic in a very long time, or for a very long time. Um, I think capitalism, some libertarian values would help. Hey, you know, another one that, that I've seen pop up pretty significantly over the past week in, in some of these regions is the Second Amendment. You know, I think the right to keep and bear arms is a good deterrent, not only against these violent, you know, lawless rioters, that are burning businesses, but even against maybe a, a government that has um, that is drunk on power and is overstepping their bounds, right? Now it's a little bit harder to conceive of that. You're, you're you're just outnumbered. It's just not as easy. But even against these businesses that are being burnt and looted and windows broken and stuff, I mean, I so you know there's plenty of videos of of people on the receiving end of this anger, this this hate. Um, you know, I saw one yesterday. It was a, uh, it was a, a woman who stepped out. You know, there's some people in front of her. I want to say it was like a fire supply, com- fire supply company store. You know, small store, and she stepped out to you know confront them. I don't know quite why. Um, they did not like that, right? And and they initially started walking away. I don't know if she said something or if they were just feigning a retreat, but they turned around. And began, you know, beating this woman. You know, one guy had this massive, you know, like two by four, two by six, hitting her with it. And another guy was just swinging at her. You know, and, and this guy, this, this wife's husband comes out. And I think he's got a golf club. And he says, you know, like, get away from my wife or something like that. And he's got a golf club. One against, you know, four or five of these other um, looters uh, or vandals or whatever you want to call them. And... You know, he starts getting hit and he runs back inside and comes back out again, you know. But it's like, come on, like a golf club isn't going to be enough. You know, the Second Amendment could could help deter some of this stuff. You know, if, if you start swinging, you may get shot. That's a, that's a real deterrent, right? Now, I, I value human life, right? Um, I hope that's, you know, evident as well. But I value human life. And and that means in cases of self-defense um, as well, meaning that, yeah, if, if you or, you know, let's say your wife is, is at risk of, of death or significant bodily harm because people are attacking her, then, yeah, maybe, you know, the use of a firearm would be justified to defend her, meaning you may need to take a life to save hers, right? Um you know, additionally, I would argue that enough firearms, enough force from these lawful individuals would be enough to deter violence. And I think in many cases we've seen that to be true. You know, so that would be another thing that I would add to this, that, you know, Second Amendment helps. Guns help in defense against, you know, lawlessness. 
you know, the whole, well, you know, my, my 1911, you know, responds at, you know, 10, you know, 1,000 or 1,100 feet per second. Cops are going to, you know, take two minutes to get here or whatever. Well, in reality, in many cases, it can be much longer than two minutes. And in these scenarios, cops may not get there until the next morning, right? Good luck calling 911. So, I mean, it's, um, the other one is, you know, why do I carry a gun? Because I can't carry a cop with me. Well, you know, I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't choose to do that, even if they could in these types of scenarios, right? Because of things associated with that. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's just kind of basic, you know, uh, um, self-reliance. It's basic, you know, self-protection. In fact, you know, between between this coronavirus pandemic and, and now this, I mean, gosh, I got, I got to think that the um, sales for, for guns have just been through the roof in the past few months. And we'll probably continue to, to do that for a while now. I mean, the U.S. is already, for those of you that don't know, if you're from Australia or the U.K. or Canada, I mean, the United States likes our guns. But I think, you know, we need to put in context just how much we have in terms of guns. This idea of disarmament of the population. Wow. Um, the U.S., I would estimate, owns upwards of maybe four, 400 million guns now. I don't know. It's been a while since our you know estimates would be that it surpassed um, surpassed one gun for every person, right? So so we're charging on beyond that. Now some of those are just gonna be you know twenty two rifles, hunting rifles, or whatever, duck hunting, shotguns, and whatnot. And of course, you know those are estimates, but we'd still be missing. Um, the amount of guns that potentially would have been scrapped along the way, as well as guns that were import, um, you know, imported illegally, smuggled into the country, or guns that were made at home, you know, these so-called ghost guns. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot. And, and there's only going to be more added to this mix. And that doesn't necessarily bother me. I think criminals, who ultimately, I'm, you know, I'm worried about criminals having guns, people that are going to use them in a violent manner, um, not in self-defense. That's what I'm worried about owning guns, ultimately, and they're going to own them regardless. But but again, I'm not making this a big... I'm not going to you know, make this all about gun control, gun rights, etc. But but I think they are important um, in the context of, of rioting. I mean, I, I just can't say it enough that, that what happened to George Floyd is unspeakable. You know, it makes me sick watching the video. Um, and the violence that's ensued since then by both sides has been unspeakable. It's There's a lot of wounds in this country, a lot of anger, a lot of hate in this country. Um, not exclusive to this country, obviously, but right now there is. It's smoldering. And and I don't think the solution to it is to, to add more fuel to the fire or to think that somehow structural reform from within is going to fix this problem. Nor do I think that a revolution would fix it either. Again, there's always a possibility, but we're always skewed, I think, by this. In the United States, we're always skewed by this perspective that, well, the American Revolution worked so well, let's just do it again. Well, yeah, but, but, but that was sort of the exception. You know, a lot of other countries around the world, when they try revolts, if they succeed, um, they, they generally replace one tyrant with another. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not a real gain from them. Maybe they move from a fascist state to a socialist state or something like that, you know, a monarchy to a fascism. Or, you know, it's just, it's not really desirable, right? 
you know, the other thing I was going to add finally is that, you know, what's the long-term implications here? You know, there, there's been a lot of talk in the last year, unsurprisingly, especially since this coronavirus stuff took off, of, of the fourth turning, right? This idea that, that we're in this generational time period called the, for, the fourth turning in which things tend to get the most tumultuous of these, you know, generations, these these four 20-year periods roughly, um, known as the first, second, third, and fourth turning, that we are in the fourth turning now and, and things get crazy. You know, fourth turning, that's when, when things like World War II happens and whatnot. Um, and, and, I, and I wonder, you know, what's, what's next after this? How, how much longer do these protests go on for? How much more violent do they get? How much more restrictive of rights does the U.S. government get? How much more, you know, domestic surveillance will there be? How much more um, crackdown on rights, potentially borderline martial law in cities? How much more of that will happen? Um, it's hard to say. How much do other countries get involved in this? You know, and then what's next? I mean, hey, we, we've had a pandemic, a deep recession, massive social unrest. I mean, hey, the only thing we're missing here is is probably a major foreign conflict. Am I right? And and I say that, you know, almost tongue-in-cheek, but, like, w- would anybody be a surprise if we went into a major conflict in the next couple months? I don't know. We'll see. But but it, it certainly would, you know, fit the pattern. It'd be, a, hey, heck of a distraction, would it not? Obviously, I'm not rejoicing over any of that. But but it's um, it's always a question of what's next. Right. And uh, and I know that, you know, financially, economically speaking, I could say, well, I, I have my I'm squared away because of my precious metals, which I don't have a whole lot of because, hey, I'm just graduating grad school. It's not like I have a ton of disposable income. Right. Um, but even if I did, even if I had a whole room just filled to the brim with precious metals, um, that's not where I want to be found. That's not where I want to find my safety, nor do I want it to be in a room full of guns. Guns have value too, I'm sure, in this world, as do financial assets, property, relationships, all those things. Ultimately, though, you know, my hope is found in God. It's it's found in God alone. And that's where I want to be found in these these times, whether they're the end times or just bad times. I, I don't know. We've experienced plenty of bad times in the past. Um, it would be presumptuous to say that this is the end times from a biblical perspective. I don't I don't know. But that's where I want to be found, right? And what's my solution to this? It's prayer and it's loving. Right? Yeah, I have my political views, I have my economic views, right? But I, I that's where I need to start and that's where I think every Christian needs to start if if we want to make progress in our own relationships, our own churches, our own communities. Um and and you know, ultimately what I want is heart change. Right. Ultimately, what I want is for you, the listener, to to come to, to Christ. I mean, that's what I want. It's it's what I want far more than than social reforms, far more than than you know another board to to oversee pro- police uh, and, and their use of force, or or more protests or whatever. I, I want heart change. So that's what's on my mind today. But as always, I'd like to hear thoughts from you in the comment section. Shoot me an email. As always, though, I'd like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's 
podcast. And God bless.